Hello, Matthew. This is Thomas speaking from the Money on Chain account. Do you want to test your mic? Hey, Thomas. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Great. So we're joined by Manu. He's our co-host, one of the co-founders of Money on Chain. So very excited to have him as well and to learn a little bit more about DLCs. I will start the conversation by by saying that I know very, very little about them. So I am hoping that, Matthew, you can you can help us understand this whole new thing better. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And very nice to meet you, Manu, as well. Nice to meet you. Yes, I'm, I'm the same like Thomas, and I'm not the technical guy in Manu Chain. I've been mainly building community and the rest. So I, I'm very interested. I've been following you for, for several years. Actually, when you were in Ethereum, I, I, I learned about uh, your project, but I, I, I wanted to, to learn about your experience with DLCs. Yes, absolutely. It looks like, uh, looks like I'm, I think I've been following you, you for a while as well, but I'm really excited to get into the nitty gritty of, of DLCs from a non-technical perspective today. And hopefully we, hopefully we can get to the bottom of it so everyone comes away with uh, a little bit better understanding of, of DLCs. So it should be exciting. Yes, I think if we can get off this space knowing a little bit more, then we would have done our job successfully. <laughs> so, Matthew, I think it would be good if you if you start by giving us a little bit of, of your backstory and how you got into Bit and DLCs. Yeah, absolutely. So, I originally, I actually originally got back got into Bitcoin back in the day, back in 2013, 2014. It was actually my my dad that introduced me to Bitcoin. He's a bit of a, a gold bug, you know, was looking for any type of, of money that he could buy that, uh, you know, wasn't under government purview. So things like gold and things like silver were obviously very exciting to him. And more recently, he, uh, and then obviously he, he discovered Bitcoin. And so the interesting thing was he's not very technical. And so I kind of helped him with all of that back in the day. And then to be honest, I kind of forgot about Bitcoin for, for a couple of years. Myself and my, my co-founder ended up going to the University of Waterloo. And while we were there at the University of Waterloo, we actually really got into the Ethereum space. As you might know, you know, obviously Vitalik went to Waterloo and obviously the remnants of the Ethereum community were very strong there. And so we got very interested in the idea of DeFi. Why, you know, why isn't there a way for folks to be able to get access to financial tools anywhere in the world with just an internet connection? And so we spent some time, you know, kind of, you know, playing around with, with, with Ethereum, with smart contracts, eventually, you know, ended up working with a, I ended up working at, at Consensus, actually working on atomic swaps. We were actually doing atomic swaps between, you know, being able to do exchange between Bitcoin and Ethereum. And some of the folks on the team were actually Bitcoin maximalists. And so they, they taught me about all the properties of Bitcoin and why Bitcoin is so important. And that's what eventually led to, you know, us being very interested in building on Bitcoin. And of course, how do you build on Bitcoin? What are the primitives you can use? Well, DLCs happens to be one of those, which we'll, ch we'll chat more about today. All right. That is very, very interesting. So you first started in Ethereum and then you started developing tools directly on Bitcoin. Did you, did you find any, 
any backlash when you when you made that that change to yeah we didn't we didn't get too much backlash i think so when we were originally working on obviously atomic swaps were very like cross chain so we had been working on cross chain things for a long time so you know cross chain atomic swaps being able to swap between bitcoin and ethereum in a trustless manner and then we ended up doing another product after that which was it was called atomic loans and it was a cross chain product too it would allow for folks to lock their bitcoin on the bitcoin chain and get access to stable coins on ethereum and you know after after that time so obviously we had always been kind of in the cross chain space a little bit and so when we decided to go all in on bitcoin only I think that was a little bit of a surprise in the community, but to be honest, we actually were opened, you know, welcomed with open arms by the Bitcoin community. Lots of folks in the Bitcoin community were very excited about what we were trying to build and what we were working on. And so, and so that was, that was a really, really great moment and, and, and exciting. So, yeah. All right. Well, that, that is good to hear. Sometimes there there is a, a a little bit of animosity between both communities, but it's good that in this case that that didn't happen. So I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. you can't listen to the haters, you know. <laughs> very, very much so. And with money and chain, we're we're very often in the middle of both communities, so <laughs> we understand that better than most yeah for sure well there's there's always folks that are you have people that are purists there are you have people that are you know and there's people that are interested in building and sometimes you have to you know take steps or go somewhere in the middle and 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 you never please anyone but if you if you try to please everybody then you won't build anything and so you know we just have to keep building and and trying to build things the best way we can so yeah Very true. Very true. I think that's a very healthy perspective. Before we move any forward, I will re remind the um, the audience that if you have any any questions, you can post them in the messages or you can request the mic. And now I think we should get started on uh, DLCs. What what are they? Yeah, that's that's a great question. First of all, what does DLC actually stand for? It stands for discrete log contract. That sounds really, that sounds like a math term, right? For, for those, of, those of you that know. And, uh, and obviously it is, it's based off of that. The guy who originally invented Lightning Network also wrote the original paper for DLCs. The discrete part of it is actually written as in discrete as in hidden, basically, because what one of the great things about DLCs is is that it's hidden on chain, right? So what is a DLC? It's a, in simple terms, it's just the ability to create a financial contract on Bitcoin kind of in a native manner. So a DLC allows, it's kind of like a Bitcoin Oracle contract, right? If say me and you, Thomas, we want to we wanna enter into a, some type of financial contract, you know, in the past, what we might've done, say we wanted to do a bet, I would say, hey, I'll bet you a Bitcoin that next year Trump's going to win. And you might say, hey, I'll bet you a Bitcoin that Biden's going to win, right? We would just say that, right? We would just say that. And then, oh, it comes, you know, the presidential election comes along. And then you come to me and you say, hey, I, I, you know, hey, you owe me one Bitcoin. Or hey, I say, hey, I, you know, uh, you owe me a Bitcoin. And, and the other one's like, oh, no, you know, I, I wasn't really serious about that bet, right? 
So <laughs> optimally, if you were to do a bet like that, it would be great if you actually locked your Bitcoin somewhere, somewhere where, hey, you can, you can verify that the money is actually there. And then when the outcome actually occurs, you know, each party can be paid out however, how much they're supposed to get. So it's really a simple Bitcoin Oracle contract. You've got Alice who wants to do one side, Bob who wants to do the other side, and you've got an Oracle that just attests to the outcome. So that says, hey, this outcome occurred or this other outcome occurred and allows for those, those funds to be dispersed. But what's great about this primitive is, is it can be used for lots of things. It can be used for a bet, right? Oh, did Biden or Trump win? It can be used for other types of financial contracts. Stay like futures contracts or an options contract. But it, it can be used for, for lots of different things. And on chain, it looks really similar to a, a lightning channel. So yeah, that's, that's the TLDR on, on DLCs. All right, that that, that is is very interesting because I until very recently I didn't know you could do all this kind of stuff in the main chain directly. I always thought you need some sort of side chain or some sort of layer two. So when when did the the DLCs first began and like what kind of applications can we see today? Yeah, that that's a great question actually, and and a lot of folks do think that you need really advanced smart contracting ability and, and we'll get into that as well like what can dlcs actually do and what things can they not do so so dlcs were originally proposed i believe by Taj back in 2018 but to be honest for a long time not not much happened right a lot more effort in the bitcoin community was being put towards lightning network um, but in the meantime a couple of folks in a, a few different companies were doing a little bit of innovation uh, using DLCs. I think Blockstream was one of the first back in 2019 that, you know, created the first DLC on chain. And then uh, after that, uh, you know, Crypto Garage and Shredbits actually kind of started up the, the space and around DLCs and, and really tried to get a specification going. Just like we have a specification in Lightning, they started working on, hey, is there a specification that we can create for DLCs as well? And so they put a lot of work towards Hey, like, what is the standard for this? How are things going to work? How are we going to do these more advanced contracts? And this was back in 2019, 2020. Um, and since then, you know, we've experimented quite a bit with, with DLCs for allowing folks to do uh, kind of more, uh, more advanced, you know, options strategies for making returns on their Bitcoin. There's a couple of folks that have been working on, you know, other applications like loans or even futures contracts. But really, like this has been a, a long time coming, and and DLCs I think are just really starting to come to to fruition nowadays, where it's easy enough for people to actually use. In the past, you had to be a developer, you had to be a coder, and we're seeing more applications being built that makes it a lot simpler for people to get access to these tools, which is really exciting. Yes, no, it it, it is quite exciting and it seems that we we are living in a moment where there is an unprecedented level of innovation and exper experimentation happening in the bitcoin main chain we, this is completely different but we ha are seeing all this ordinal stuff and it seems like there's a lot of more new stuff coming up that at least from my side i was very surprised because i i thought all this stuff couldn't be done uh, on the on the main chain yeah, I, I completely agree. Well, I think we've, what we've had 
is we've had more more folks be excited about building on Bitcoin, right? Like there's never been a time where it's been a better time to be building on Bitcoin or building things for Bitcoin. And so I think that's, you know, that's really exciting. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. So I know you, you wanted to touch it on the topics of the robustness and the security behind DLCs. I know you, you told me that that was something important that you wanted to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one thing to, to note on DLCs is, and, and also like, obviously I know a lot of the crowd here is uh, folks that have maybe used, you know, RSK or money on chain. And, and so what are the differences between them? DLCs can't do everything, right? They can do certain things and they can do those things really well. So one of the things with DLCs is it's a really simple contract, right? You know, if me and Thomas are entering into a bet, you know, there's two possible outcomes. The actual contract on chain is simply a two of two multi-sig. And so one of the advantages that you get with one of these types of contracts is that, is that you don't need to worry about like any type of smart contract hack that will occur, right? Even if someone, even if there's like a bug in the code, The only person that can steal your funds is your is the person you've entered into a DLC with, which is still very unlikely because it's a very simple contract and there's lots of kind of checks and balances in place to make sure you know nothing goes wrong. Similar to you know kind of how we do that with Lightning Network, but it can't do everything right. It can do you know bets, futures contracts, options contracts. It can all do do that really well. If you want to create more. Uh, kind of advanced things like being able to create like a synthetic dollar, for example, that's a little bit more, more difficult, like uh, what, what's been created on money on chain, but there is alternatives. Say if you want to do like stable stats where you just short the Bitcoin price. So that's a little bit similar, but not as transferable, obviously. But that's one of the big advantages of DLCs is that you don't need to worry about, you know, smart contract hacks, but it is a little bit more limited in terms of what you can do. And so in that aspect, You know, it's very difficult for someone to be able to come in and, and hack it or be able to find a vulnerability because at the end of the day, it is a two of two multi-sig, right? So the only parties that really might be able to do something to you are either yourself or your, your counterparty or obviously the Oracle, right? And, and those are the kind of the points of, of risk that, in, that are involved in a, in a contract like this. Yeah. All right. All right. That, that is very interesting. Is it? Is there a running application of something like StableSets? Do you know? Yeah, uh, I know 10101 Finance is working on uh, implementing StableSets. And what they've been working on is the ability to be able to do futures contracts. So, you know, going long or going short on Bitcoin. And StableSets is simply going short on Bitcoin. Now, the difference between that and say something like money on chain is that, you know, once you've, once you've generated, you know, a dollar on chain, you know, you've generated that and you can transfer that to anyone that's transferable. Whereas the difference with something like if this is done in a DLC manner is that you need to do a short position using a, you know, a perpetual. And then if you want to send someone, you know, those stats, you need to close out of the DLC, send those funds over lightning and then re-enter that position. So it's a little more challenging to do that, but that's, that's essentially how you would do it. And 1001 Finance has been working on D uh, DLCs on Lightning for a while now. There's kind of two types of DLCs. There's DLCs on-chain and DLCs on Lightning. And I'm sure we'll see much, much more applications of, of both, you know, moving forward. Okay, that, that, is, that is very, very interesting. So correct me if, I, if, 
I'm wrong, but like the difference between a DLC on chain and a DLC on Lightning could be that the the Lightning one, your funds are in the Lightning network, but the DLC is on chain, and it, they would communicate between each other. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I think the main difference there is that the idea with a DLC on Lightning is that you're able to do many different contracts at once without settling on chain. So you would open up a say a a payment channel, right, with a a market maker, for example, and you'd be able to do, you know, say I want to, today I want to do a long perp, tomorrow I want to do a short perp. You know, I could do many of these contracts without having to actually create an on-chain transaction. And once I've, you know, either ran out of inbound liquidity or outbound liquidity, then, you know, you can either, you know, splice in or close the channel and open another one in order to keep doing trades. And obviously if you're doing on-chain, then, then, you know, it's, you're just doing the communication out of band in order to enter into one of these, these positions. But generally right now, you know, doing on-chain DLCs isn't a big deal because the, the fees are, you know, fee rates are f fairly low. Obviously this was a lot more important a couple months ago when ordinals were going crazy, but these days it's fine. I imagine during the bull market upcoming, you know, it's going to get a lot, lot more challenging to do DLCs on-chain for sure. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I imagine that once fees start going up, then the price of running the DLCs will go up, up with them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, it's not, it's not too crazy, right? It's not like, you know, the gas fees involved in Ethereum where you're paying exorbitant fees. I know the fees are a lot lower on RSK, for example, but, but doing, you know, if you're comparing it to you know, gas fees on Ethereum, it's, it's way, way, way less than that. Because remember, all you're doing is opening a two of two multi-sig and closing a two of two multi-sig. So it's kind of similar to the fees involved with running a lightning node, right? And so obviously those fees are a lot smaller, but you can get, get them even smaller by, you know, taking advantage of, of lightning too, which is really cool. Right. Yeah. To me, it's, it's so interesting once we start seeing all these technologies start to communicate between each other and becoming stronger by collaborating. So we have DLCs, we have Lightning Network. Now let's combine them. We have a couple of people that want to ask some questions. So I'm going to allow them in, and then we can move on into specifically what Atomic Finance is working on with DLCs. So we have Oflo and Darren. Oflo, do you want, do you want to go first? Sure. Hey, what's going on, Matt? I, I was looking into you guys for a while now. Actually, I, I talked with Tony way back when you guys were first starting out. And my question for you is, when are you all going to be interoperable with RGB? Are you guys looking at specifically leveraging RGB? What's, what's happening in that space? Because I see that RGB has one of the most potentials in terms of development ecosystem and scalability for Bitcoin applications? Yeah, that's a great question, Oflo. Uh, to be honest, I've seen a lot of, you know, some development over a long period of time with RGB. And I think the main, the main use case that I remember back in the day with RGB was the ability to create assets on top of Bitcoin that are anchored to Bitcoin. So say if you had some type of stable coin like Tether that was issued on RGB and then Maybe you could create DLCs on top of this. Uh, the main use case we were thinking of was, say, you know, uh, stablecoin settled options, for example. 
to be honest, like most of the use cases we've been experimenting with right now have been Bitcoin settled, but definitely like something we want to look into in the future. Um, to be honest, I haven't seen like that much adoption of RGB so far, which is why we've been, you know, I, I was actually following for them, them for years and didn't see that much adoption of their technology, which is why we've been a bit hesitant to, to integrate anything there, but always keeping an eye out and to see like, you know, what they're building and if it's something that we want to integrate in the future. Definitely. I, I would keep an eye out for RGB and Prime and just the compatibility between them. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Very cool. Sorry, what's Prime? Essentially, it's it's another layer that is supposed to be interoperable with, with Bitcoin and RGB. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's a bit above most people's pay grade, but I think that it has a lot of potential. Amazing. Well, thanks for the tip. I'll, I'll look into that a bit more. All right. Thank you so much, Oflo, for that great, great question. Matthew, do you mind for our listeners, just in case, give a brief description of RGB in case they are not aware? Yeah, good point. So RGB is a, it's a protocol for allowing for folks to issue assets on top of Bitcoin. And the way those assets are issued is using essentially off-chain data that are anchored to specific UTXOs. So you can imagine, hey, if I have a UTXO and attached to that UTXO, there's some, you know, some stable coins or maybe another asset that's issued. And those RGB assets can be utilized you know, on-chain. They can be utilized on Lightning. They've been working on this project for a long time. And I'm not sure at this point, like what the adoption level has been, but I think their, their main goal is just to allow for assets or I think they were doing some stuff with like NFT too, just to be issued and attached to specific UTXOs. But yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens with their, their protocol development looking, looking forward. I just want to add in a little bit. It's, it's essentially a smart contracting platform that basically does everything that Ethereum does, but better due to the fact that it has native privacy and security of Bitcoin at its base layer, and there's no additional token. So literally, it's like smart contracts on Bitcoin. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That, that sounds quite interesting. I've been hearing from RGB for a while, but like Matt said, I, I haven't seen a lot of adoption and I would really like to know more. So Oflo, if you have anyone that you would like us to have in a future space, I would be very keen on, on that to learn some more. Now, Darren, I think you, you had a question for Matt as well. Hey, hey, thanks so much for having me up. Hey, Matt, nice to meet you guys. This is super fascinating. You know, we're working with in the early stages of using DLCs in the gaming context for some peer-to-peer -peer wagering experiments that we're running. And so it's it's a really interesting use case for it. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to maybe other interesting things that are happening with gaming or one thing that keeps coming up that I don't, that I don't know uh, too much about yet as Noster. Is that something that you're seeing get adoption? Are there interesting integrations that you're seeing happening between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. Great to meet you, Darren. So for, for that, like your first question has, have DLCs been used for gaming? So far, I haven't seen 
too much yet. I know there's like, there's companies working on loans, on futures, we're working on options, but so far I haven't seen too much in the gaming space. So that's really exciting that you guys are, are looking to kind of integrate that. Um, one thing, if you guys are doing bets that might be more interesting is Super Testnet was working on a, I believe it was called a HODL contract on type of lightning that might actually be, be better for this use case because it can be used, you know, with a normal lightning invoice, like DLCs aren't, aren't compatible with the entire, like can't be routed over lightning right now. Um, but you can use these HODL contracts. And so that actually might be better for bets. If you're doing like more advanced, like financial contracts, then obviously a DLC is better. Um, and then in terms, in terms of Noster, um, I've seen, I've seen some folks talking about using like Noster for like a messaging protocol between different DLC clients, but I don't think anything's working in production just yet. So I'm excited to see what people build moving forward. Cause I think, I think Noster is going to be, you know, my, it's, it's actually a great place for Oracle announcements to be created and also for like price discovery on different types of contracts. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Those are, those are all things that we're looking at. Yeah. We're looking at, in, in the wagering use case, you know, looking at sports betting, use cases like sports betting, sports wagering, and those types of use cases. And so doing Oracle announcements on Nostra is, is something that we have seen, but, it, but it's very early and looking at different implementations is we're trying to wrap our heads around all the way, all the different ways that these things can work together. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. And I, yeah, I think the reason you might wonder why, like for folks in the, in the audience, like why are, why would you do Oracle announcements over Noster? Imagine you have an API for some Oracle out there and that API just goes down on overnight. And now you, you can't enter a DLC or you can't close your existing DLC because you didn't get the signature for the attestation for the outcome. Noster makes it great because obviously that announcement or that attestation is spread across all the different relays. And so it, that makes it a lot more redundant. So, but yeah, re really excited to hear what you guys are building, Darren, with, with sports betting. I think if you guys are trying out DLCs, that's really exciting. That's really fun. So re really excited to see what you guys build. Yes, likewise. And once again, I love to see all these different protocols starting to communicate between each other. Now we're adding Noster to the mix and that, that is very, very exciting. We have another new speaker, 22.7. Do you have a question for Matt? Yes. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Money on Chain. Thank you, Darren, as well. So I'm actually working with Darren. And my question is very straightforward from a developer perspective. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned Super Testnet because it was through his demos that I started working with the PSBTs and just, you know, doing that type of oracleized transaction. And then he's also seems to be a proponent of Noster. I really hadn't been able to wrap my head around it. I was thinking more or less about submitting the afterwards of the contracts in a social context. But the way Matt just explained it is absolutely fascinating because at no point throughout the experience did I, I heard there was an Oracle dilemma and an Oracle problem but mostly those conversations were steered around rogue oracles. So a nice, simple example of what if the oracle just goes down and then you can't settle these contracts totally just opened my mind to how amazing it is that this Noster thing is 
seems to go very well with DLCs and we were able to identify it. But to my question, as you guys are developing, have you guys been building your own APIs or are you working with other organizations out there that are working with DLCs? Because I thought I was going to be doing raw Bitcoin transactions and Bitcoin scripting. And then I realized that essentially would just add so much time because I would need to build out a proper API. So we've talked with Deep Lake, we've talked with DLC.link. And I'm wondering if you guys built out your own stuff or how's that going? Thank you. Yeah, great, great question. 22.7. Yeah, I think like to your question, like are we developing or have we been building our own APIs? We've been working on, there's a couple like libraries for building on top of, of DLCs. Obviously one in the Rust environment, Rust DLC that Crypto Barrage has been working on. And, and that one, that one, lots of folks have been using recently. There's also kind of what we've built called No DLC, built in TypeScript. So there's a couple of different implementations that make it a lot like simpler to get started with DLCs and start building. Another thing that's been built recently is the Lava team. They've been working on loans on top of DLCs. Lava.xyz, they built a Oracle implementation called Sybils, uh, S-I-B-Y-L-S. And that's basically an open source uh, Oracle implementation uh, that you can spin up in five seconds. And it has a standard API, uh, a standard way of generating Oracle announcements for the Bitcoin index price. That makes it really simple to kind of plug and play and get started with DLCs right out of the gate. So yeah, to, your, to answer your question, there's, there's lots of kind of open source implementations out there and lots of folks that are trying to make it easy for, for people to get started. So. Definitely recommend checking those out. Perfect. Thank you much for that that wonderful answer. Oflo, you, you have your hand up. Is there anything you would like to add? Yes, it's actually a question because we've got the DLC guys here. Matt, what is the interoperability or are there any benefits that basically DLCs can get from zero knowledge proofs? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the only use case I've heard of for using zero knowledge proofs with DLCs is specifically around the offer message. So if we go a little bit, little bit technical, not too far into DLCs, typically when you enter one, so if anyone knows anything about lightning, typically there's kind of a message protocol of sending information back and forth in order to enter into a channel. There's a similar process with DLCs as well, where you send an offer message, an accept message, and then a sign message, and then the DLC is broadcast. So one of the considerations for that is in the offer message, you need to include uh, UTXOs. And obviously, you know, that's giving away a certain, certain level of privacy. So I know Nadav, who used to work at SuredBits, he talked about the idea of actually using zero-knowledge proofs in order to contain the UTXO information for the inputs of the DLC that would be a way to have more privacy but still be able to send you know DLC offers around but I don't think anyone's like really explored that wholeheartedly just yet but that could be one potential application for sure hey Matt do you have any familiarity with liquid I've, I've played around with it but not not too much to be honest Okay, I'm just going to ask it just for asking's sake. Maybe you can answer, maybe you can't, but 
how would DLCs essentially work on Liquid? Because obviously the elements code base is very similar to Bitcoin, but natively it has native privacy at the, the core. So yeah, how would DLCs work with confidential transactions? Yeah, that's a good question. We were we were planning to investigate this actually a couple of years ago, but we never did. So I, I'm not I'm not hundred percent certain what that would look like. I imagine you might need to make some small modifications to the protocol just to include some additional information uh, to be able to reveal like the information behind the confidential transactions when you're doing the messaging protocol back and forth. But I, I couldn't tell you 100%. I, I'd have to do some more investigation there. But if you guys are looking at doing some stuff with, with Liquid and creating some open source libraries for DLCs on Liquid, that would, that would be very cool. I think the community would, would, would be much appreciative of that. <laughs> Thank you, Oflo. Those were great, great questions. I'm happy they will be recorded and available for the podcast later for all our, our listeners. Matt, I think it's time that we we go into atomic finance specifically. Like, what are you guys building and how are you using DLCs? Yeah, absolutely. I guess to give a bit of background on, on us, so we, we started... What we've been building with Atomic Finance is just a really simple way for folks to earn a return on their Bitcoin in a way that's actually transparent and, and doesn't expose people to the kind of black boxes that we saw last year. So if we remember, you know, the folks that, that claim to allow you to get, say, 8% or 9% APY on your Bitcoin, you know, the way we like to think of it is it's 8% you'll never enjoy on Bitcoin you'll never see again, right? We saw this with BlockFi. We saw this with Celsius. And it was a big problem, right? It was a big problem where a lot of people use these services and they ended up, you know, being rugged to a certain extent, somewhat on purpose, somewhat, you know, due to other things in the ecosystem falling down. And so we wanted to think, well, there must be a better way to allow for folks to, to make a return on their Bitcoin that is, you know, that is passive without them, you know, being exposed to so much risk of a black box. So that's what we started with Atomic Finance. We've been working on a way to allow for folks to get access to um, automated trading strategies, so automated options strategies, specifically designed to allow folks to, you know, have a uh, you know conservative way to earn return. Now these aren't these aren't risk free, right? There's no free lunch in Bitcoin. There is a risk. On the back end, we use options, right? So we use what's called a cover call. So what that means essentially is we, you know, if, if Bitcoin go, rises significantly in a, you know, a very, very short period of time, you know, there is a potential for, you know, a small loss with your Bitcoin. But what we've tried to do is, is automate this strategy and put the necessary measures in place, you know, to, to reduce the likelihood of that substantially. And so that's what we've been working on with Atomic Finance. We allow for people to do options using DLCs and, and we make it you know, just as simple as possible for them to do so. And soon we're going to be allowing folks to be able to create their own options as well in a, in a manual manner. So we're really excited to be building that. All right. Wonderful, wonderful. It, it sounds similar to what Money on Chain is doing because, you know, with the, with the B-Pro, we're trying to allow people to generate a, a return on their Bitcoin. And with the B-Pro, there's also a risk in the short term, 
but there is case when Bitcoin goes goes down rather than when it goes up. And the same as atomic finance is designed to work on the long term. So it's interesting the, the similarities there. So how, how do you say that atomic finance differentiates itself from other financial tools that would seek to do something similar? Yeah, I think, I think the main differentiator there is obviously we're using a DLCs, which is a little bit different. And it's, it's kind of, obviously it's native, but I think the other, obviously, well, there's, there's two types, right? There's, there's what exists in DeFi and there's what exists in uh, traditional finance. So obviously for traditional finance, it's pretty obvious, right? You're not giving your funds to a black box. You get to see, you know, from, uh, from that perspective, exactly what's going on. And then from a, a DeFi perspective, um, you know, we took the, the route of, hey, we're not going to create a token. You know, we're, we're going to try to do it as, you know, as, as simple and secure as possible. And then obviously we've put a lot of work into our automated strategies in order to, you know, make them kind of as robust as possible. And we've got lots of kind of material on our blogs that talks a little bit about that. So I think those are really the biggest, biggest differentiators for, for us versus other folks. Perfect. Perfect. I think that's very good for our listeners to know. Now I have some questions from the community that were sent to me privately. So we have one of our community members asking why not build atomic finance on rootstock? Specifically as rootstock is cheaper than doing transactions on the Bitcoin layer one. Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we did consider uh, building on, on rootstock. One of the things we were concerned about was the, the bridging process and the process to actually get funds over to rootstock. But that's something we might uh, investigate in the future, um, allowing for folks to do you know, type, some type of smart contract on rootstock. But the other thing as well is we were really happy with kind of the security around DLCs and the fact that they were just so simple. So that's something that you know some of the high net worth folks that we've talked to have really liked about DLCs, how simple they are and how robust they are. And so that's, that's why to date we've been focused on building on DLCs so far. Yeah. 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 That, that makes sense. Personally, I would, I would love to see an in integration there at some stage in the future and find out what can be built once you start combining rootstock and DLCs and lightning and I think it's definitely a space for people to to keep an eye out because I, I expect a lot of innovation to come out in the next few few years. Now, we have another question from our community members saying the current API is 2.47 since August 2022. Do you expect that APY to increase with the bull run? This is in question question specifically about your conservative strategy. Yeah, that's a great question. So we have, um, I think he's referring to, so we have the conservative cover call strategy right now. And one of the things for those that aren't super familiar with options, you might know that when Bitcoin volatility is very low, the premiums of those, of those contracts tends to be a lot lower as well. And so, and so obviously for us, that has resulted in kind of a lower a lower return over the past couple months because you know Bitcoin. Let's be honest, Bitcoin's been acting like a bit of a stable coin, and uh, and so generally when 
you know, when the volatility associated with Bitcoin goes up, the premiums go up as well. So you might think, oh, during the bear market, you know, it's a great time for, for cover calls. Well, yes and no. There's, there's generally a little bit less risk, but also you're, you're getting less return. And so generally when the strategy makes the most, uh, most returns is during the, during, during the bull market or when the volatility in Bitcoin is, is much higher. And that's kind of historically when the strategy has performed you know, very well. So definitely expecting those returns to go up over the next couple months and, and the next years or so. Great, great. Yeah, in the case of money on chain as well, for liquidity providers, they earn on the fees. So the more the platform is used, the more people earn, but also mo most of the gains come tied to the price of Bitcoin itself. So when there's more volatility, we see higher earnings as well. So I think there's another sim similarity there. Then the last question from our community member, he's asking if you could explain a little bit more where the API is coming from like how, how this strategy works a little bit more in depth. And you mentioned that there was a small risk in, in some scenarios. So if you could elaborate a little bit more about that. That's, that's a great question. So where does the risk actually come from with the APY? So, so first of all, where does the APY come from? So we've gone and we've, we spent, you know, quite a bit of time developing back-tested options strategies, you know, for atomic finance. And obviously, the one that's available on the app right now is the conservative covered call strategy. So historically, if we go all the way back to you know, 2019, and we look at the kind of historical performance, that's where we're getting that APY from, in addition to the recent trades that have been taken over the last six or seven months now. And so that's, that's where that historical APY comes from. Now, the other consideration is obviously the what is the risk right so what is you know what is a short call what is a covered call in essence what you're doing is you're putting your bitcoin into a contract and we do weekly options so you know what is the price of bitcoin right now it's around thousand. so imagine i enter a call that says hey i'm willing to sell a call um, and as long as the bitcoin price by this upcoming friday stays below thirty thousand, then you know i make um, you know, maybe a hundred, you know, a hundred thousand or 200,000 sats, for example. Um, so that's essentially the risk that you're taking, right? You're willing to, um, you know, sell that upside for, you know, when it hits that 30,000, um, in order to get a, a premium or kind of a coupon. Um, and the thing is, obviously, if the Bitcoin price goes above 30,000, then you will, you know, you lose a portion of your Bitcoin. It's equivalent to selling your Bitcoin at that price at 30,000. Now, you might think, wow, well, if I'm doing that every week, well, that seems a little risky. What happens if, you know, we, we get a large bull run in the middle? And so what we do in the strategy is we use uh, TA filters, essentially, to filter out uptrends and in general. And generally, it looks for, you know, sideways trends or downtrends. So you might, you know, if you look historically over the last six months, you know, there's been months where there's been, you know, two trades or no trades or one trade. So it's not always in a position. So we're, we're looking to avoid those, those uptrends that are occurring in the market. So we avoid taking something that's going to, you know, end up with you, you know, losing some of your Bitcoin. And that's why it's called, obviously, the conservative covered call strategy, because it's, it's not always taking positions. And sometimes it's, you know, the reality in trading is sometimes it's not a good time to take a position. 
And that's kind of the mentality that we implore when we wanted to build this out for folks. Um, All right. That, that is very, very in- interesting. And if any of the audience has any follow-up questions on that regard, you know, you can always write them down or request for the microphone in case I was not clear enough. Otherwise, I think uh, it will be good to move into this the part of the podcast that I enjoyed the most. I, I used to study philosophy back in Argentina. So I always like to ask every founder, everyone that's working on a project on Bitcoin, what's the philosophy behind the project? Because to me, it was what attracted me to Bitcoin first was the, the, the philosophy of freedom and in individual sovereignty. So I want to ask you, what's, what's driving you to build on Bitcoin? Yeah, so I think in general, when we look at when we look out there and we look at what's available for for people that you know own Bitcoin for Bitcoiners, what's available for Bitcoiners today? We have hardware wallets, right, where you have your cold storage. We have we have obviously Lightning that allows for folks to do payments. But if you want to do anything related to financial contracts, you know, really that needs to be done on an exchange, right? That's the only thing that's available. And so for us, it was really about, well, why isn't there an alternative to centralized exchanges for being able to do anything financial related with your Bitcoin, right? I remember, I remember um, you know, learning from a, a company here, here in Canada. They run an exchange, an OTC exchange, and they were hedging, right? Back in the day, they were using BitMEX to hedge their contracts whenever someone s- sold or bought Bitcoin. And then BitMEX was banned in Canada. So they started using FTX. And what happened? FTX blew up and they lost a large portion of their balance sheet because of that, simply because they were trying to hedge. And so, you know, for us, that was just so much motivation to say, hey, there needs to be something better. There needs to be a better like financial primitive for Bitcoin so that folks can have the ability to hedge or have the ability to speculate on, you know, the price of Bitcoin without being exposed to, you know, centralized exchanges or custodial risk that exists out there. And so that's really where our philosophy comes from is to, you know, if if Bitcoin is going to become the, you know, the world reserve currency, then it needs to have a a settlement layer and a financial layer that is sound. And so it, you know, really, it's all about building, you know, sound finance for sound money. I love it. We are very aligned to what money on chain is building. I think we're, we're pushing in the same direction which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you in in these spaces. Now, a question. Is atomic finance like decentralized or because you're you're talking that you're trying to build an alternative to something like FTX or BlockFi and those kinds of uh, projects that we we now know uh, what happened with them. So what would the difference with atomic finance in the way its structure be and yeah, like how decentralized it is, how much people need to put the trust in you and your team specifically. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it comes down to where, where are the risks, right? So if you're thinking of any type of contract that you enter, what are the risks? What if, what if X person disappears? What if Y person di- disappears? And so one of the nice things with DLCs in general is that there's no counterparty risk. In the example I gave um, of, hey, you know, Thomas, you're, you're betting on Trump and I'm betting on Biden for the next like presidential election, right? If, 
you know, since we've gone and we've put that Bitcoin into the DLC, then that means that there's no counterparty risk, right? Now, where do the risks lie? It, it lies obviously with the oracles. And so in general, you know, that's, that's really the riskiest point of a DLC is, you know, if the oracle creates the right outcome or what happens if the oracle disappears. And so in general, like obviously the, the riskiest part for, you know, using atomic finance is the oracle. So we run the oracle right now and we're the sole oracle, but we do have plans to move to multi-oracle in the, in the future where you would rely on not just us, but us and another oracle and another oracle, which can obviously reduce the risks for folks. Uh, and so that's really the thing to keep in mind. You don't need to worry about, hey, is the chain I'm using secure? Obviously, the Bitcoin you know, blockchain <laughs> main chain is very secure. You don't need to trust your counterparty. You do need to trust the Oracle. But at least with the Oracle, you can go and you can verify that they've attested to the correct outcome. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. With money on chain, the Oracle problem was a big one to overcome. And definitely the more oracles we can have, the less trust we have to put in each specific one. And I, I love what you said about DLCs having no counterparty risk, because that's, that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin, so it's money without any counterparty risk. You can hold it by yourself and it doesn't have to be backed by anything else. So I think what you're doing is, is very aligned with the whole Bitcoin ethos, which personally, that's why I got into the space to begin with. Now, I want to I wanna move into the, the challenges that you have faced in building this application and like what challenges do you see of people adopting this technology at the moment? Yeah, I guess first it might be good to get into like the challenges of like building this in the first place. Obviously, when we were first starting out, there was no kind of base you know, software or base applications to kind of utilize for DLCs. So, you know, a lot of the initial stuff we had to build ourselves. And you might think in Ethereum, you just have smart contracts, you deploy it, you have Infura. Obviously, it's very centralized, but it kind of takes care of all of those things. I'm sure you guys ran into similar challenges with money on chain. And, and with DLC, so we had to build up a lot of that infrastructure from scratch. How do you have an Oracle API or... How do you manage a market maker wanting to provide liquidity? How is that done with DLCs? So there's a lot of like kind of initial development that you have to do to get it off the ground. I think for anyone starting today, you're at a huge advantage because lots of things have been built. Lots of libraries are out there or different software that you can use for DLCs, which is really exciting. And then I think the challenge moving forward is really education around, hey, what are DLCs? You know, everyone hears DLC and they're like, what's that? You know, why is it useful? Why, why, you know, what, what's the difference between that and something else? Is it, isn't it just a centralized exchange? And really making it simple for folks, right? Like if, if someone's using an application and they're having to do it on the command line, well, we're not going to get much adoption, right? We're not going to get many folks using that. So I think it's the same thing for Bitcoin finance, right? If it's not easy for people to use, just like if there's not an easy application or an easy like front end for people to use money on chain, or there's not an easy UI for people to access DLCs, then people aren't going to use it. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we've been really focused on is making it as simple as possible for folks to use DLCs and get access to them in a UI that's as simple as, you know, just, just pressing a button. In fact, like what we believe is that non-custodial or, you know, you know, 
really DeFi on Bitcoin or sound finance for sound money, it should be simpler than using a centralized exchange because you don't have to go through all the KYC. You don't have to go through all of those processes. We should be able to make this process even simpler for people. So, you know, that's, that's really our goal and our, our vision. And I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's for similar, similar for you guys at Money on Chain. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think we're trying to, to do the same, no, make, make these technologies as easy for as many people to use as possible. Specifically with Money on Chain, most of our users, we see them in Latin America, in Africa, in those places where they, they, there is no other alternative. And for those people, these kind of technologies are much easier to use. And that's where we see a lot of adoption. And we're trying to, hopefully, by making these, all these technologies easier and getting the UI and the UX right, we can get a lot more people to benefit from them. Yes, Manu, you have your hand up. Yes, yes. I, sorry, Matt. I was listening. Some of the question was mine. <laughs> so, but the the English of Thomas is much better than mine. So I, I let uh, Thomas to do many questions. Um, one question I, I have is exactly about the the UI of your application. I, I saw that you have like your own wallet. In in our case, we we would like actually to to delete our. DAP, our access, it's actually in, in IPFS, but I, I actually we would love not to maintain that, that it would be done by, by anyone who wants to do that. Are you planning to do that, that kind of strategy or is it more a, a holistic? From my understanding is actually you, you have your own wallet. So you are trying to provide a, a complete user experience to your users, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, I think one of the challenges with um, DLCs in general is that, and, and I know for money on chain, and, and you guys have a bit of an advantage there because you're able to take advantage of the RSK chain itself, which, which can hold a lot of the state involved with what's going on. And so it's possible to actually create a DAP that's like actually just stored in you know, IPFS where you know, it could be accessed anywhere. One of the challenges with building on DLCs is that there's a lot of off-chain information. And the other thing too, is that it's a challenge to actually enter into a DLC. If anyone has tried out the Atomic Finance app, you might remember, hey, it took me one or two minutes to be able to enter. And why is that? Well, in the process of entering a DLC, there's lots of off-chain signatures that need to be created for all the possible outcomes that can be you know, attested to by the Oracle. And so that was one of the reasons that we started with building our own wallet because, you know, let's be honest, there's, there's no kind of wallets out there that support DLCs right now. We would love for there to be more wallets that support DLCs. I know the DLC link guys have been working on, they've been integrating like DLCs into Xverse and I think Hero Wallet, I think they're called Leather now. And so we would love to, you know, see if we can build them some things in a, you know, some type of web app or a DAP, for example. There's, as of yet, there's been no hardware wallets that have added support for DLCs. And part of that's because, you know, there's a computational requirement to create all those off-chain signatures. But I think as we move forward, we're just going to see more and more kind of support for DLCs. And that'll make it even easier for us to be able to integrate with those folks. So I'm really excited to see more, more and more people, you know, building support for DLCs moving forward. That's great. Yeah, I just want to quickly say that we, we had the experts team uh, scheduled for a spaces. Unfortunately, we had to reschedule, but we're very much looking forward to speaking with them as well. 
Oflo, I see your hand is up. You want to add something? Yes. Question to, to Matt again. Is uh, the D DLC portion of your wallet open source so that um, more people can, you know, start adopting that within the community? Yeah, absolutely. The DLC part is open source. We have two libraries associated with that. If you go to GitHub slash Atomic Finance, you look up Node, Node DLC, or we also have Bitcoin abstraction layer. And both of those are used within the app to allow for folks to enter a DLC. Right now, we've, in part of the specification, it's, it's not completely compatible with Rust DLC just yet, but we have two open PRs there. One of our open source contributors, Max, has been like working on making compatibility be between the two. So very soon they will be compatible, but uh, those, those work today. And, and you can try out, try out DLCs as much as you want. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I think uh, we are all very, very big fans of open source technologies here. So we're getting to the hour mark. And before we close, Matt, because I don't want to take a lot of your time. I just want to give you a time, if you want, to quickly talk about the your future plans for Atomic Finance, even though you have mentioned a few things during the, the conversation about where you guys are going. But if there's any specific that you want to mention, any uh, product developments that we should be aware of, potential partnerships or collaboration that are down the pipeline, I uh, just want to give you a few times for you to do that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Thomas. I think um, one of the things we're really excited about this upcoming month, at the end of the month, we're going to be launching uh, manual options on Atomic Finance. So you'll be able to do long calls and long puts. Uh, so we're really excited to get that out to folks and have them have them try it out. We're also excited to you know be launching additional strategies within the app that specifically focused around long options. So really excited to get that out on the app. But moving forward, I think the main thing for us is obviously we're focused on you know on-chain DLCs right now. But one of the things we want to migrate to is obviously DLCs on Lightning as we get closer to the bull run. And so that's something that we're going to be focused on next year getting DLCs on Lightning so we can reduce, you know, on-chain fees that people are paying, you know, within the app even more. But really the long-term vision for us is just to build an application that makes it easy for people to access financial tools for Bitcoin without having to give up custody, without giving their Bitcoin to a black box. And, you know, we're just going to, you know, what do, they, what do they say? Bear markets are for building. So we're just going to keep plugging away and keep building and excited to push out more stuff for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of things that, that we can look forward to. And personally, I do hope we see more of these kinds of technologies and things like money on chain to keep making all these financial tools available for everyone without needing to put so much trust in, like you said, these black boxes that historically time and time again have, let's just say they they keep giving us reasons not to trust them. So we are very, very happy to be involved in developing the the alternative that we believe is going to be best for everyone. So Matthew, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I think for me personally, I will leave this conversation knowing more about DLCs than I did when I went in. And that was my objective. I hope listeners will experience the same and we will publish this as a as a podcast in the next coming days 
And yeah, I invite everyone, if you want to go and try the Atomic Finance app, at least check it out. And I hope we can do maybe a space sometime down the line, maybe when you guys do these DLCs on Lightning, and we can talk about how, how that goes. Yeah? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining. I'll invite you for next week. Same time, same day. We're going to have another speaker, and we will keep learning about what is happening in the world of Bitcoin. Because, like we said, it's a very exciting time. There's a lot of building happening, a lot of new stuff, a lot of experimentation, innovation. And like Matthew said perfectly, bear markets are for builders, and we are here building and talking to all the different builders. So, thank you. Amazing. And I just wanted to say thank you so much to you, Thomas, for hosting this. This has been really fun and love that you're getting the, the conversation started with building on Bitcoin. Before we left off, I, I wanted to, I noticed that one of the early kind of not developers, but researchers around DLCs was, was on this space a little while ago. Um, L, at LL Foreign, Lloyd Foreign, he was doing the initial cryptography that allowed for DLCs to be created on chain to get today. So I just wanted to give a shout out to him. Follow him at L-L-F-O-U-R-N-E. And obviously a shout out to all the folks that, you know, kind of did the initial work to make DLCs possible. Sherdbits, Crypto Garage, you know, here at Atomic Finance, we're standing on the shoulders of giants and they've done, you know, God's work in kind of getting, getting this space set up and getting the initial development done. And so all of, all of the things that we built would not be possible without them. So obviously want to give a big shout out to them. Yes, yes, perfect. I, we, we are all uh, in the shoulders of giants. And you just remind me that I forgot to ask you our famous last question. I, I'm sorry. The last question, and we will close with this. What would you ask Satoshi if you met him? Now we're talking about standing in the shoulders of giants. We are all standing in the shoulders of Satoshi. So what would you ask him? Well, I, I got to ask Satoshi the classic question. What does he think of drive chains? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just joking. Ah, that's a really hard question. Now, maybe, maybe it would be. What do you think of drive chains versus uh, APO, CTV? I've got to ask him the classic one. And did he choose the one megabyte, you know, max block size? Did, was that just a random number or was that on, on purpose? I, I haven't looked at his, his early, early quotes, but curious about that. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I am curious about that too. There's a lot of things about Bitcoin, like why 21 million? Why one megabyte? All those questions. I don't know if it was just random or there's a deeper meaning behind it. Uh, we'll probably never know, but it's still fun to, to ask and ponder. <laughs> yeah. Well, well maybe, maybe he wouldn't tell us too. Maybe he would say, sorry, I don't, I, I, if you don't understand, I don't have time to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, very, very true. All right, everyone, thank you so much. I will see you next week. Matt, thank you. Thank you again. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you.